Good evening, everyone. I'm fighting a sneeze, so I hope I don't sneeze over the course of the next couple seconds. I figured that might be my introduction to you guys for this lovely Friday evening. Thankfully, that was not the case. Thank you guys so much for bearing with me this week as I struggled with the vicissitudes of being fat and overheated in the state of Florida. It was great. One of the things I discovered was that if I sit down, I never start moving again, and then I can convince myself that I'm super tired, too hot and annoyed to do anything, etc. And it's just very much a case of an object at rest staying at rest. So that's good to know. Won't be falling for that again anytime soon. We have upped our step count. Me and Dot have been getting out more, moving around a little bit more as week 31 approaches. So starting in week 34, I'm going to start taking necessary steps to try and make sure that labor goes accordingly because I do not want the chain of consequences that comes from having some kind of intervention. Andy is setting off the smoke detector, as is his tradition when making pizza. Hello, Martin. Thank you very much for joining. Ekim, thank you for joining us as well. Hopefully, Andy can take care of the smoke detector. I wanted him to make frozen pizza, and he was just putting it in the oven. And for whatever reason, now the smoke detector is going off. <laughs> I should have done it myself. But I know I can't ask him to do that at the last minute. Anyway, I found this meme, and I thought it was great. And you guys are welcome to contest it if you like. I had someone contradicting me and telling me that they need Christianity. And I said, I don't know if that's a fair analysis. And you'll see why. We're going to be talking about Christianity today and where they stand at the moment. Lisper says we are 10 weeks apart. Yes, but you already have all this experience. I have no idea what I'm getting into. So wish me luck for sure. I'm glad you at least have some of the memories from some of the other boys. So men need four things to be happy. Family. Here he is with his lovely pregnant wife. And I commented you should probably take this lovely home out of the background because it's just not going to happen for most millennials. And then we have fitness. And there's Jesus saying just one more rep, my son. Fair enough. And then we have a man in the library reading a book. It says wisdom. And then a man hiking. It looks like Mount Rainier. It says freedom. And I love that. It's such a wonderful balance. Andy's making faces in the chat. I personally have not set off the smoke detector, which is really funny because one time when I was baking, we overflowed. Uh, um, I, I put all the cookie dough in like a pan so I could make a big cookie and didn't take into account how much it would rise. And then it overflowed and it got on the bottom of the oven and it was really super smoky. Uh, one of those baking disasters. But even then, the smoke alarm did not go off. So I don't know what he's doing out there. It doesn't even smell like anything's burning, but he is making it happen. Hopefully he'll enjoy his pizza in any case. Serenko says, well, Christ is in the meme already, though. Yeah, that's kind of the point, too. What I said to this person who was questioning me was, it says wisdom. And at least in Andy's case, he understands that religion is one of the surest ways to get to the point of wisdom. And I think that's a really good perspective to take um, without telling people what to believe. We're going to talk about religion quite a bit tonight because a couple interesting things have happened. But I have a poll going on over here in the comments. Elon Musk floated the idea of removing the block button. He actually said that that was something that was going to be happening relatively soon. I'm going to see if I can pull up my response because it was really kind of bothering me for a little while, but I did think it was interesting. So I asked in my poll, let's see here, should you be allowed to block people on Twitter? How many followers do you have? Right now, yes, and fewer than 10K followers is at 79%. Yes, more than 10,000 followers is at 14%. No, less than 10K 
And no more than 10K is at 7%. Sorry, no less than 10K is at 0%. So Andy says there wasn't any smoke. There really wasn't. I don't really don't smell anything. So now it's overcorrecting. I don't know what's going on here. But let's look at Elon Musk floating the idea of getting rid of the block feature on Twitter, X, whatever it's called. Block is going to be deleted as a feature except for DMs. So this is an interesting community note. Elon Musk cannot do this. The feature to block someone on the site is required as a social media app to be allowed on the App Store and the Google Play Store. I did find that helpful because that to me is a very jarring thing to say. Lots of people block lots of people for lots of reasons. And part of the reason that people were kind of roasting him over this was that um, this actually really isn't a good idea. I don't think at all. In fact, Libs of TikTok says a really important thing here. It says there are thousands of users who their sole mission on here is to is to mass report is sorry mass reporting campaigns. Why should they have access to our tweets so that the so that they can mass report us and potentially get us locked out of our account? I think that's a great uh, great point. He got ratioed on this one. He got something like twenty one thousand. Um, comments and 15,000 likes. I do mute a lot of people on here. That's kind of how I curate my experience on Twitter. It's nothing personal. I mute a lot of people. And uh, Shoe on Head says, goofy um, ass idea. People can say whatever they want, but others should be allowed to lock their doors and not listen to it. Insane stalkers, doxers, general parasocial weirdos who follow people around everywhere, plus porn, gore, OnlyFans spam, and spam bots. Also, large communities who weaponize false reporting you don't deal with this because you're too big to notice, but normal people do. I think that's true. And I think that's a really good point because there are lots of reasons that you should be able to block people. And if you think about it, especially from the point of view of a, for example, a pro-women's rights commentator, somebody who's actually an activist in that field, saying, you know what, I would rather not be pursued by pro-trans activists who are hounding my every move, who get into my comment section and mix it up with my users and threaten to dox them and get them into trouble. I would rather avoid that. And I think that's perfectly understandable. The other thing too is that when you're threatened to be blocking, when you're, when you're, sorry, when you're being threatened with doxing, that's what I wanted to say, it's best to be able to uh, block people so that they don't have the access directly to your Twitter. Billboard Chris says, worst idea ever. Those who talk about controversial subjects will be flooded with trolls whose sole intent is to start fights and spread false info. My reply should not be a platform for haters and liars, never mind the ones who will dox. Considering the reporting process through X is still dreadful, this is the least intelligent move you've made. Yeah, he's getting pretty blisteringly excoriating for this, excoriated for this, and I think he should be. I think he needs to take this criticism and make something good with it. Janice says... I think you should be able to block. I'm not on X. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I don't have many followers, but the followers I do have are awesome. Yeah. One of the thing I was noticing, so this was interesting to me and I found it to be partly wholesome, partly frustrating. The people who were telling me that blocking is for weaklings have fewer than 1000 followers. And I'm like, bro, tell me you've never had to face the possibility of blocking someone without telling me. I have almost 200,000 followers and I really only have like two people and their friends who will try to come after me. And it's like, I just want the ability to block those few people. It's not that big a deal. Janice says, what if somebody is blocking a stalking, is blocking a stalking ex they have a retaining order against? Right. Well, then that gets into the question of law, which is going to be interesting for Twitter for sure. Chris goes on, uh, you're also oblivious to the fact, Elon Musk, that as soon as malicious types start flooding replies, 
Reasonable, sane people are far less likely to engage. You're guaranteeing X will become a haven for fake news and giving a gift to those who use intimidation to try to silence followers. He was very verbose and I appreciate his tech. I was, his take, I was pretty upset about it. So I was like, I was kind of mad and I would, I'd throw it back at people. I'd be like, you have like 15 followers. Of course, you're not going to block anyone. Why would you? You're anonymous for one thing. No one's going to dox you and you are you are a very, very small fish. And I don't say that to be insulting either. It's a very real recognition of what's actually happening. Mr. Proxy points out there's a critical mass that gets reached that requires blocking. And I think that's true. I think the people at like medium numbers of followers like me, for example, because I don't have that many, I think Shuan Head has something like a million followers. She should have a right to block people because there are going to be some crazies in there. Sorry. Oh, she has like half a million. Still, that's a lot. It's a lot. Oh, I forgot she follows me. Yeah, June's great. Trolls, harassers, stalkers, parasocial. Yeah, no. Locking your door is not violating someone else's rights. 100%. (laughs) I get like 15 minutes a day to relax and scroll the internet, says Andy. I'm not spending that time being abused by some sociopathic R word. And yeah, I think that's fair. I, I... Man, this is such a bad idea. But at the same time, Elon is also a master of marketing. I will say that he could easily change his position. He could easily change his mind and make something positive come from this. I just was like, what are you doing? I am not interested in using this platform if I can't block people because blocking people fortifies positive conversations. Now, I am not afraid of being criticized. I have been conservative my whole life. The reason I didn't go into journalism was because I understood that my views were going to get me excoriated. When I was 11 years old, that was 2002, I understood that I wouldn't be able to work in a field because of my views. This is before anybody had an idea of cancel culture. This is before I was on any kind of social media. I recognize that to be the case. I'm not afraid of being criticized. I've been criticized for everything all the time. I've been told all sorts of horrible, ridiculous, untrue things about myself. And it's forced me to terms with myself. And it's been, it's good for you. It kind of thickens your skin and it makes you kind of impervious to the silly criticism that just has no truth in it. Wild to me. Stevie J says Billboard Chris is generally pretty great. He is indeed, despite being a Canadian, we do appreciate his work. And he says, uh, in many cases, it's abundantly obvious upon the first interaction you have with someone that if you never encountered them again, your life would be better off as a result. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And somebody came after me on, um, on my birthday and they said something about Ron DeSantis when I hadn't mentioned him at all. And I was like, it's my birthday. I think my gift for myself today is to block this person because they're nonsense and I'm not interested in interacting with them. I was like, I don't know what to do about, do about that. I don't know what to tell you. Um, let's talk about some Christianity and some pro-life stuff because this was a really interesting case. Um, actually, you know what? I think let's talk about DNA first. We're going to mix it up a little bit. I know I mentioned DNA in the second part of my title, but I thought this was interesting and The Intercept always gets the good, really good scoops. So let's read a little bit about DNA and police. Uh, Elijah says, I use it to block only fans, ladies ladies, heavy quotation marks, women. Yes. Lots, lots, lots of bots. It's crazy over there. And I understand that Elon Musk doesn't want you to block advertisers, but you have to be able to block people. I'm sorry. You just do. Uh, I'm not good with autocorrect. Yes. I know how it is. Sometimes your phone's against you. CBJ lids looks nice today. Thank you. Uh, Today I am using pigtails as a style statement instead of to keep myself from sweating profusely. I don't know what that was. I was not feeling good earlier. And like I said earlier, sometimes just (laughs) sitting down 
gets me stuck and I'm like, I can't move. I can't get up. I feel like I'm trapped. That's kind of what I was doing on like Tuesday, uh, Tuesday and Thursday this week. Let's read about this. Police are getting DNA data from people who think they opted out. Dun, dun, dun. So if, you, if you've done 23andMe, uh, your DNA could be on the line. And one of the things that is really interesting, I used to use a service called Forward in place of health insurance because we didn't have health insurance at Timcast for the entire time that I was there. But anyway, I used Forward and I was talking to my doctor about this and he was like, I kind of like you to get 23andMe because uh, it's, it's almost like a lab test, which is interesting. Labs cost a lot. I've been getting a lot. Um, and one of the things I noticed with 23andMe, obviously, was that there are serious security questions about how they're going to use your DNA once they have it. One of the things my doctor said, because he was very sensitive to my concern about this, even without me saying anything about it, even though he was in DC, he didn't pressure me to get the shot or anything like that. It was great. I loved him. He said, you can submit your DNA if you don't use your name in conjunction with it. And I was like, okay, maybe that's a good compromise. I still don't know if that was the best solution. I ended up taking it. I used a different, I used a pseudonym and I used a different um, email address. So I was like, there should be no connection to me whatsoever. And he says 23andMe equals CCP. The other thing to keep in mind too, is that if anyone in your family has done any of these testing services, they have access to your family's DNA, which is also interesting. Maybe the maybe the intercept will get into that. Let's read a little bit about this though from Jordan Smith. Forensic hot gen, genetic. Bleh. Okay, let me try that again. Forensic genetic genealogists skirted GED match privacy rules by searching users who explicitly opted out of sharing DNA with law enforcement. Fascinating. Cece Moore, an actress and director turned genetic genealogist stood behind a lectern at New Jersey's Ramapo College in late July. Propelled onto the national stage by the popular PBS show Finding Your Roots, Moore was delivering a keynote address to the inaugural conference of forensic genealogists at Ramapo, one of only two institutions of higher ed in the U.S. that offer instruction in the field. It was a new era. Moore told the audience, a turning point for solving crime, and they were in on the ground floor. Excuse me. They were in on the ground floor. We've created this tool that can accomplish so much, she said. Genealogists like Moore hunt for relatives and build family trees, just as traditional genealogists do, but with a twist. They work with law enforcement agencies and use commercial DNA databases to search for people who can help them identify unknown human remains or perpetrators who left DNA at the crime scene. The fold exploded in 2018 after the arrest of Joseph James D'Angelo as a notorious Golden State killer responsible for more than a dozen murders across California. DNA evidence collected from a 1980 double murder was analyzed and uploaded to a commercial database. A hit to a distant relative helped a genetic genealogist build an elaborate family tree that ultimately coalesced on D'Angelo. Since then, hundreds of cold cases have been solved using the technique. More among the field's biggest evangelists boasts of having personally helped close more than 200 cases. Now, doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> sounds so great. And he says, yeah, they know your name if a cousin did it, or at least they can narrow it down to like three people. Yes, 100%. <laughs> the practice is not without controversy. It involves combing through genetic information of hundreds of thousands of innocent people in search for a perpetrator. And its practitioners operate without meaningful guardrails, save for interim guidance published by the Department of Justice in 2019. Oh, that's good. 
we all know the Department of Justice is really looking out for the common man, right? The last five years have been like the wild, wild west, Moore acknowledged, but she was proud to be among the founding members of the Investigative Genetic Genealogy Accreditation Board, which is developing professional standards for practitioners. With this incredibly powerful tool comes immense responsibility, she solemnly told the audience. The practice relies on public trust to convince people not only to upload their private genetic information to commercial databases, but also to allow peace police to rifle through that information. Goodness gracious. If you're doing something you wouldn't want blasted on the front page of the New York Times, she said, you should probably rethink what you're doing. If we lose public trust, we will lose this tool. I want them to lose public trust immediately. This is the worst thing I can possibly imagine. Oh my gosh. Despite those words of caution, uh, Moore is one of several high-profile genetic genealogists who exploited a loophole in the commercial database called GED Match, allowing them to search the DNA of individuals who explicitly opted out of sharing their genetic information with police. The loophole from a source demonstrated for The Intercept allows genealogists working with police to manipulate search fields within a DNA comparison tool to trick the system into showing opted out profiles. Nice. In records of communications reviewed by The Intercept, Moore and two other forensic genetic genealogists discussed the loophole and how to trigger it. In a second communication, one of the genealogists described hiding the fact that her organization had made an identification using an opted out profile. Well, that is fascinating. So they really are actively hiding it from people, the fact that they're using this. So this to me strikes me as being on the level with ring cameras, sending the information to police departments in the area. I hate it. It's very bad. This is no, absolutely no better than that. In fact, it's, it's very, very, very much worse because it's so much more personal. And he says, on today's episode of Everything is Terrible, I just want you guys to be aware of it. I thought it was super interesting. Let's go down to the bottom and see what she concludes because The Intercept loves their long articles. I think their minimum goal for each of their articles is something like 5,000 words. Ridiculous. Uh, Moore advocated for involving forensic genetic genealogy earlier in the investigative process. Doing so, she argued, could focus police on guilty parties more quickly and save innocent people from needless law enforcement scrutiny. In fact, she told the audience she believes that forensic genetic genealogy can help to eradicate crime. We can stop criminals in their tracks, she said. I really believe we can stop serial killers from existing, stop serial rapists from existing. We are an army. We can do this. So repeat after me, she said before leading the audience in a chant, no more serial killers. I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> Update from the 18th, that is today, after this article was published, Margaret Press, founder of the DNA Doe Project, released a statement in response to The Intercept's findings. Appreciate everything The Intercept does. For the most part, they are rather lefty. Doesn't matter. They're doing good journalistic work. Press acknowledged that between May 2019 and January 2021, the organization's leadership and volunteers made use of GED match tools that provided access to the DNA profiles that were opted out of law enforcement searches, which she described as a bug in the software. She stated, oh, here we go. Here comes the... Here comes the jargon. We have always been committed to abide by the terms of service for the databases we use and take our responsibilities to our law enforcement and medical examiner partner agencies extremely seriously. Blah, blah, blah. In hindsight, it's clear we failed to consider the critically important need for public to be able to trust that their DNA will only be shared and used with their permission and under the restrictions they choose. We should have reported these bugs to GED Match and stopped using the affected reports until the bugs were fixed. Instead, on the first day when we found out all these profiles were set to opt out, 
I discouraged our team from reporting them at all. I now know I was wrong and regret my words and actions. Well, at least she apologized. This is not going to fix it. This is just the beginning. It's only going to get worse. Congratulations. Everything is truly terrible. Unhilo Snipes says, A Clockwork Orange sounds familiar. I am not familiar with the movie. I think I should probably watch it. My parents always told me that it was way too violent. Andy says, The ridiculous thing about tyranny is that literally everyone claims to be against it, except those really important cases like for protecting children or stopping terrorists. This is the case Andy is always making to me because I, for one, personally am very excited that Pornhub is pulling out of some of these states. And he's like, oh, they're just saying it's for the children that you, they want your idea. And I'm like, they are selling a restricted adult product and requiring identification to prove that the people consuming it are adults is not asking too much because it's exactly the same for gambling. It's the same for alcohol, all of this stuff. Uh, God, the son, Jesus Christ saves says, hi, hello, hello, welcome in. What do we got in terms of Twitter report tonight? 23 and me and the CCP dun, 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 more like the COP because these are American police and American intelligence. All right. But I did say we were going to talk about Christianity. So let's start with this story. Pro-life advocacy group fires comms director after GOP rep called her a bigot for sharing her faith. Pro-life advocacy group Ohio Right to Life has fired communications director Elizabeth Marbach after her online dispute with Republican Ohio Representative Max Miller. This is a fascinating story. Ready? Miller, who is Jewish, accused Marbach of religious bigotry Tuesday in response to a tweet from Marbach which read, There is no hope for any of us outside of having faith in Jesus Christ alone. She's literally a pro-life activist who volunteers with a pro-life organization. Very interesting connection that Mr. Miller has with this pro-life organization, though. Hopefully this article covers that. This is one of the most bigoted tweets I've ever seen. Delete it, Lizzie. Religious freedom in the United States applies to every religion. You have gone too far, he replied. What an (laughs) a-hole. I posted something earlier, he said later, that conveyed a message that I did not intend. I will not try to hide my mistakes or run from it. I sincerely apologize to Lizzie and to everyone who read my post, he tweeted Tuesday night. Marbach was offered the chance to resign from the pro-life advocacy organization twice and was fired after she declined, according to the Republic Sentinel. Isn't that interesting? The outlet also reports that Marbach previously had a disagreement with a fellow employee over an August 10th tweet in which she called the pro-abortion activist a murderous liar. This is why you have to be careful about where you work and or what you tweet. You need to work somewhere that's okay with your social media usage. And if they're not, you need to either tweak your social media usage or move somewhere that doesn't mind what you tweet. Honestly, go away. I don't care. Miller's wife, Emily Moreno Miller, here is the interesting connection, sits on the board of Ohio Right to Life. Her father, Bernard Moreno, is a GOP candidate for the Ohio Senate seat currently held by Democrat Sherrod Brown. So Max Miller's wife sits on the board of the organization where Elizabeth Marbach used to work. She's now been fired from. Interesting connection. Ohio Right to Life CEO Peter Range has since responded to the controversy in a statement posted to Twitter. Ohio Right to Life can confirm that Elizabeth Marbach is no longer employed at Ohio Right to Life. This decision was not based on a single event as some on social media claim. We appreciate Lizzie's service and wish her the best in future endeavors. This sounds like gross political corruption and calling. In Ohio, calling someone a bigot for being a Christian is probably not going to sit well with your voters. So, wishing Max Willer just the very best whenever he's due for re-election. And for, to, um, what's this lady's 
dad's name, his father-in-law, who's also running for office. Fascinating. Bernie Moreno, GOP candidate for the Ohio Senate seat, currently held by Democrat Sherrod Brown. Interesting. I'm going to sneeze. Forgive me in advance. (sighs) No. Okay. (laughs) I tried. But that's not the only going on with Christianity. This is an article from a publication called, misnamed, I would posit, Christianity Today. Or maybe it is correct. I think it is the right name because this is the absolute state of Christianity Today. Barbie and Taylor Swift are bringing us together. This headline makes me want to fall asleep and or not be reading it. Beyond hot pink and bejeweled outfits, they showcase a deeper desire for community and collective joy. So, I don't know how familiar you guys are with the Christian verbiage around being a part of the current culture, the modern everyday goings-on, everything uh, that everybody is engaged with who's not a part of the church. This is called, colloquially, the world, okay? This is what Christians are not supposed to be a part of. You're supposed to actively be working to set yourself apart from it. In fact, part of the reason everything was so freaking weird in the Old Testament was because God was going out of his way to make sure that his chosen people were acting differently from those around them, right down to what they ate and what they wore and what women could do during certain times of the month. It was weird because he wanted them to set themselves apart and to remember that he had chosen them and to remember his teachings. Let's see what they conclude. I hate them already so much. They're going to make me pay for something. Give me a break. Well, this is the real reason that I wanted to bring up Christianity today. Oliver Anthony's viral hit doesn't love its neighbors. Rich men north of Richmond is disdainful toward people on welfare. Christians shouldn't be. That's right, because there's only one verse in the Christian Bible, and that verse is, love your neighbors. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I certainly know of some other verses in there, and they're not all so nice and sugar squishy pink. Let's look at one of those other verses before we get into this article. This is Second Thessalonians, and I'd like to read you this section ending with verse 10. Actually, it won't end with verse 10. We'll end with 14. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 14. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teachings you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not, we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right for such help to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tired of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them. That is the world. People who are acting in a worldly manner, just like everybody else. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. This is cultural pressure against people who aren't working. You know what sounds a heck of a lot like cultural pressure against people who aren't working? Songs that talk about how it's not positive to be on welfare. Isn't that an interesting connection? Now, if you're the kind of Christian who writes for Christianity Today... You will stop your Bible reading when you come across the verse that says to love your neighbors. 
There are other verses in the Bible. In fact, there's a whole host, a whole web of interesting beliefs that are really, really important to Christians and to people of character everywhere. So let's see what the dear Hannah Anderson has to say. As a native of Appalachia, I can't remember a time when I wasn't aware of the plight of blue-collar Americans. Mine is a region shaped by the struggle for fair pay and safe working conditions. To this day, coal country for many is synonymous with hard living and generational poverty. So when I heard about Oliver Anthony's viral hit, Rich Men North of Richmond, a reference to the powerful elites in D.C., I was excited for a song in the tradition of Johnny Cash, Pete Seeger, and Woody Guthrie, music that names the inherent dignity of the poor, lodges a protest against establishment excess, and echoes Old Testament calls for justice like God's condemnation in Jeremiah 5.28 of those who have grown fat and sleek yet do not promote the case of the fatherless or defend the just cause of the poor. Let me stop you right there, dear Hannah. It turns out you do know there are other verses in the Bible besides love your neighbor. Curious if you made it from the Old Testament to the New Testament where Second Thessalonians is, where they're talking about how they went specifically to set the example of being hard workers who did not ask for charity and counsel the church, church at Thessalonica not to be the kind of person who does nothing but take because, quote, for those who do not work, neither shall they eat. Now, she goes on to give the stirring, troubling story of when she was a young wife of a pastor with three children who avoided the church organist because she was afraid that she would find out that they were using food stamps to get their food. I don't care at all. It turns out that your anecdote actually isn't that important. Let's read it some more. <sighs> Let's see what her conclusion is. Oh my gosh. Again, she wrote so many words. Why don't you just go work for the freaking intercept. Instead of trafficking in easy caricatures and political tropes, we must understand that the plight of our food insecure neighbors is our plight as well. Put more simply, we must see their God-given humanity and honor it, something I'm certain Anthony himself would affirm. I am heated, Andy points out. I'm very heated because this is so irritating to me because this is not Christianity, okay? Christianity is not picking and choosing certain lines from the Bible. This is part of the reason that we haven't both fully 100% committed to the faith itself. While we attend church pretty much every single week, we've reached the conclusion that we should not commit to something until we can truthfully say that we 100% believe it. Now, I think that the people at Christianity Today would think it's probably fine to sign up for a church that you don't completely believe in because they clearly um, subscribe to a faith that they just believe bits and pieces of. Like, for example, she chose this verse from Jeremiah about defending the just cause of the poor. And I have to be honest, when you start to tweak the Bible like that, it does sound progressive. And we're going to look at an article based on the story of a recent editor from Christianity Today, and we'll see what he has to say, because this guy thinks that um, the church is too far right, which is a really effing interesting, interesting stance. I told Andy that I was probably going to swear on today's show, because it's frustrating. It really, really is. I just wanted to add before we move on, though, that this is a very interesting verse from Richmond, north of Richmond. The verse goes as follows. Lord, we got folks in the street, ate, got nothing to eat, and the obese milk and welfare. Well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. She is only viewing this from the perspective of the person who's on welfare. She doesn't talk about the fact that they're overweight. She doesn't talk about the person whose taxes are paying for the fudge rounds. 
these people are looking at it from polar opposite directions, okay? Oliver Anthony is looking at it from the perspective of a dirt floor poor man, probably working in a coal mine because he is Appalachian, who is saying, my tax dollars should not be paying for your ridiculous welfare foods if you are A, obese, and B, making poor food choices. Now, one of the things that I found when I was looking this up before tonight's show was an article from the National Library of Medicine, which I like when I'm looking for research about this kind of thing. Um, Peer-reviewed study, or in the process of being peer-reviewed, and that's from 2015, it's probably peer-reviewed now, the relationship between obesity and participation in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program is mental health a mediator. This is an interesting study because this actually isn't something that I had considered. And um, it definitely deserves consideration because if you're going to be compassionate, you need to recognize that obesity is really bad. And if you are going to be truly compassionate about welfare, you need to recognize that being on welfare can actually facilitate obesity, which should trouble you. Because again, if you care about people, you want them to live longer, you want them to be healthy. Focusing on adults from the Los Angeles Family and Neighborhood Survey, we investigated whether mental health was a mediator in the association between obesity and participation in the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. The analysis included 1,776 SNAP participants and eligible non-participants. SNAP participants had higher odds of obesity and of reporting a mental health problem than eligible non-participants. However, mental health was not a mediator in the association between SNAP participation and and obesity. We recommend changes in SNAP to promote healthier food habits among participants and reduce the stress associated with participation. I think that's a perfectly fair conclusion for this study to draw. I think they should do a larger study. I think there's very real evidence to support the idea that eating the food that you can find on welfare is going to make you unhealthy, unhappy, and possibly contribute to a mental health disorder. Laura says, I think he's a farmer lids. He has cattle dogs like me. Possibly so. Possibly so. But as she points out at the beginning of this article, a lot of what is done in Appalachia is related to mining, which again, I completely understand. But people who work very, very hard, very long hours, such as in mines or farmers, for example, they pay taxes too. And they are very, very poor and it's not easy. And that's part of where this song came from, right? Part of where this came from was from this recognition that these people are being taxed. It's not fair. It's going to people who are obese and on welfare. And that's his observation. And he's channeling the voice of people who find this unbelievably frustrating. Why are you taking my money? Right? I, I, me, Lydia, I used to make $17,000 a year as a nurse aide. I made practically nothing. Still got taxed. That tax money went to people who were obese and who were on welfare. And I could not imagine trying to live a life, trying to afford rent and all that other stuff. Thankfully, I was able to still live with my family while I was earning that little. And it's just really, really frustrating to see. Now, before we move on, I wanted to pull up this video, super cool video that is floating around talking about how or showing these videos of these guys who are just in tears watching the song. And it's really, really interesting because the leftist design to attack this song as a right-wing propaganda piece is really, really falling short of the mark. And I think that people are starting to wake up, right? I think that's a fantastic idea. I think it's a fantastic white pill 
Paul says, hi, Lydia. How are you feeling? I'm feeling better today than I was yesterday. I'm life hacking my way through life. I'm getting there. Never been pregnant before, so I got to figure out what I'm doing. But let's read this article about the Christianity Today editor. Evangelicals call Jesus, quote, liberal and, quote, weak. Now, that's a really interesting kind of circuitous headline, so we're going to unpack it. A former evangelical leader is sounding the alarm about the direction his religion is headed in. Before we go on, let me stop you right there and say, if your concern about your faith, the Christian faith, is not that it's becoming too liberal, you have the wrong concern and you have a fundamental misunderstanding of your faith as a whole. And I will refer you to some actual seminary teaching. Okay, let's go on. An editor-in-chief of Christianity Today is warning that evangelical Christianity is moving too far to the right, to the point that even Jesus' teachings are considered weak now. Russell Moore resigned from the Southern Baptist Convention in 2021 after years of being at odds with other evangelical leaders, specifically Moore openly criticized Donald Trump, who many evangelical Christians embraced. Moore also criticized the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, response to a sexual abuse crisis and increasing tolerance for white nationalism in the community. Dun, dun, dun. Now he thinks his religion is in crisis. Moore told NPR because that's where good Christians go to give good, unbiased interviews to people who are of good faith and really want to talk about this kind of stuff. Boof says Seamus needs to enter the chat now 100%. However, this is kind of specifically Protestant. So he might not have a lot to say, but I think the general concept of religion and following and pursuing a religion is equally applicable to Catholicism and Protestantism. And he says, if you give someone a handout, it's there to spend. It's theirs to spend. And he misspelled theirs. My goodness. Can't believe I married this man. If you want uh, them to get a sandwich with it, just give them a sandwich. Yes. The problem with welfare funding is that it is fungible to some degree and you can trade it for other things that you want. Uh, what was alarming to me? Oh, let's see. In an interview, NPR in an interview. That multiple pastors have told him that they would quote the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the part that says to turn the other cheek with preaching. Someone would come up after the service and ask, where did you get those liberal talking points? So let me stop you right there and say, you are hearing this third hand from someone who is reporting this to you, ostensibly with the intention of proving that their congregation is far too right leaning. What was alarming to me? is that in most of these scenarios, when the pastor would say, I'm literally quoting Jesus Christ, the response would be not, I apologize. The response would be, yes, but that doesn't work anymore. That's weak, Moore said. Again, we're stopping because if you have not taught your congregation the words of Jesus, you are a failure. That's your job. You are supposed to be teaching what Jesus taught. And if your congregants come up to you and say, where did you get these liberal talking points when you talk to them about the Sermon on the Mount? You failed. That's your fault. You have no one to blame but yourself. Anyway. Moore said he thinks a large part of the issue is how divisive U.S. politics are, which are now spilling over into the church. He pointed to how a lot of the issues are packaged in terms of existential threat, leading to the belief among everyone, not just evangelical Christians, that desperate times call for desperate measures. And again, we're stopping because to some degree, I think that he's right. I think that politics has fil- inf- has infiltrated the church in a way that it shouldn't have. But I will also tell you right now that the Christian church, Christian church in the U.S. is so diluted that they are the lukewarm church in Revelation that God threatens to spit out of his mouth. 
This is not how the church was designed to be. What happens at church on Sunday is supposed to be different from what you get Monday through Saturday. Okay. In fact, the PCUSA, which is a denomination into which church I will never set foot, PCUSA or die, PCUSA is bleeding congregants because they are like the world. They look exactly like the world. They shut down for COVID. They preach the LGBTQ Bible. They do nothing that is remotely biblical and Christian, and they still call themselves a church. I made a joking tweet a while ago about how I think that churches like the Unitarian Universalist Church should be called, um, should be forced to label themselves church products, like cheese products, like American cheese. People came after me. They're like, oh, you can't force the church to do anything. That's not the point. The point is that these aren't churches. They're churches light. They're the world. They're the world wrapped in a churchy package. That's exactly what Moore is promoting. It's what he's promoting. And he's not wrong about politics playing too big a role in the church, but he needs to also reflect on the role that the world is playing in the church and the role that the church is allowing the world to play in it. They are meant to be separate. They're meant to be different. You are not supposed to be talking about all of these world-based talking points. You're supposed to be focused on what Jesus said and how that applies to the individual life. Okay. It's the most important thing. And he says, woman pastors, absolutely not. Again, again, literally forbidden in the Bible. This is very much like Joe Biden saying that he's a Catholic while also embracing abortion. You cannot be Though you, those two things cannot coexist. This is like Nancy Pelosi saying the same thing. It is a contradiction in terms. It is a definitional misunderstanding to say that you believe X and also that you believe Y when it comes to Christianity. Andy says partially hydrogenated church flavored product. Yes. Yes. It's church colored, church flavored, church seasoned, but it is not church. And to me, that strikes me as much more dangerous than an actual church that's teaching the actual wrong things like the nation of Islam. Very dangerous. Don't like them. Completely disagree with them. Whatever actual borderline like violent, but at least they're not calling themselves something that they're not. Anyway, I digress. Moore says he thinks large part right. It makes sense then that the evangelical Christians would embrace Trump who portrayed himself as the answer to many of those supposed existential threats. Trump both campaigned and governed on a largely evangelical Christian platform. No, he didn't. He moved the U.S. embassy to, in Israel to Jerusalem. Pretty sure that was because he had a Jewish son-in-law. Cracked down on immigration from majority Muslim countries. He did not know such thing as a Muslim ban. No, no, no. Don't quote fake news at me. I don't want to hear it. Not interested, New Republic. And he appointed multiple conservative judges, including to the Supreme Court, which has swung sharply right. Has not swung sharply right. It hasn't. Just has another Catholic on it. Thomas, or sorry, not Thomas. I always want to call him Thomas Sowell. His name is Clarence Thomas, just because one of their names is the same. It hasn't swung sharply right. And any other Republican president would have appointed the exact same appointees that Donald Trump appointed. He made good on his anti-abortion promise. Oh, you mean his pro-life promise? Hmm, Interesting. When the high court removed the nationwide right to the procedure in June. Many LGBTQ productions protections were rolled back under his watch. And during the June 2020 protests over George Floyd's murder murder by police, they were riots. Almost 40 people died. He tear gassed demonstrators so he could make a heavily posed picture with a Bible in front of St. John's Church 
Near the White House. Okay, so the New Republic we can completely disregard as a source of journalism because they don't even understand fake news when it smacks them in the face. They just hate Donald Trump. And as Trump swings ever further right, it makes sense that people who believe he will solve their problems will follow blindly. Hey, you know what? Um, the former editor of Christianity Today should actually be following? Probably the Bible, which actually doesn't have a high opinion of gay marriage. Okay, I'm sorry. And you're welcome to disagree with the church on that. You're welcome to not be a Christian. You don't have to agree. But I will tell you right now that there are beliefs in the church that do not jive with what the rest of the world thinks. And that's exactly how it should be. And I'll never understand why people have such an issue with that. At the end of the day, they're not supposed to be the same, but they are becoming the same. And Christianity today is not helping. They're making Christianity look worse. Anyway, James says, nice. What denomination are you both? We have been attending PCA because that's what I was raised in because they do not have women pastors and they do not sign off on all this stuff from the world. And when I was a kid, I thought it was a little over the top. I was like, who cares? There's women pastors. Not a big deal. There'd never be a lot of women pastors in the church. I think that's dumb. Uh, but no, not at all. I did indeed get married and I did move to Florida. Why did Lydia leave the Tim Pool show? Because I wanted to start a family. And because Andy had a family up in Boston, Andy has a great job with Public Square now, and we're loving it. We are loving Florida. It's way too hot right now. I cannot wait for it to cool down. But my goodness, Texas Rangers. I grew up in Buddhist and Catholic household and Catholic school. My friends are all Baptist and evangelical now. Yeah, that sounds like a good sounds like a good compromise. Andy says, "Yeah, we go to PCA church. We are not technically Christian right now." Correct. I have always considered myself an agnostic because I don't know that I'm smart enough to determine whether or not. Or to what degree, what role God plays in our lives. I just don't know. And it's very hard to nail down. But I will tell you right now that I don't see a way to actual positive change in our culture without religion of some kind. And whether it's Seamus' religion or some kind of Protestant uh, religion, I don't think it'll matter. As long, we are, as long as we're focused on abiding by something that's not politics and abiding by something larger than ourselves that puts us into the service of others. Those are my main criteria. But all right, you guys, um, two more articles before we go. That was just my rant about religion. It's so frustrating to watch because people are always like, oh, look at what these Christians did. They're acting just like the rest of the world. And I'm like, bitch, they're Unitarian Universalists. They are not Christians. They're not, they're not, they're not. They're not. And pretending they are is a massive cope. And it's the perfect mask for the left to throw on over a Unitarian Universalist church and say, look, these Christians are doing it. The rest of you guys should be, too. That is the world in church clothing. It is literally the wolf in sheep's clothing. Okay, don't get me started. Unitarian Universalist is not Christianity. (laughs) And he says, Lids is more or less in the same camp. I thought you were going to say I was on the same spectrum for sure. Um, love, kindness, charity, PCA, Presbyterian Church of America. Correct. All right, let's read this article. I can get off my religion. Soapbox. Exclusive major donor advised fund manager allegedly blocked anonymous gifts to conservative organizations, according to a complaint. Let's read the details. Fidelity Charitable, a major donor-advised fund, allegedly blocked an account holder from sending anonymous donations to conservative nonprofits that appear on the Southern Poverty Law Center's hate group list, according to a consumer complaint obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. 
ADF Senior Vice President of Corporate Engagement Jeremy Tedesco told the DCNF it appears to be a widespread fidelity charity policy, explaining that 15 donors in 13 different states have reported the same problem to ADF. ADF again is what the heck? Why can't I find it now? Oh, we'll, we'll read about it later. The complaint alleges anonymous donations to the Alliance. Okay, Alliance Defending Freedom. Family Research Council, Center for, Sec- uh, Center for Security Policy, and Pacific Justice Institute were marked awaiting information for over a month, while donations to left-leaning groups were quickly approved. Yeah, I gotta be honest, Daily Caller, gonna nitpick a little bit here. If you're gonna use an abbreviation like ADF, make sure that you explain what it is the first time you use it, because otherwise everybody's just confused, but at least they go on to c- explain it in the next sentence. Donor advised fund Fidelity Charitable is being accused of blocking account holders from sending anonymous donations to certain conservative nonprofits that appear on the SPLC's hate group list, according to a consumer complaint obtained by the Daily Caller News Foundation. What we need is somebody on the inside at the SPLC who will put or leftist organizations on there. I believe Liz has her own profile in the SPLC for sure. I probably do. Probably the letters L-Y-D-I-A are hate symbols too. Account holder Don Manning's request to send anonymous grants to four conservative groups were marked awaiting information for over a month with three still not approved, while her request to send grants to three left-leaning organizations were quickly approved according to a July 19th consumer complaint filed with the Louisiana Attorney General. So she did it to both. It's the exact same person, the exact same account, sending money to left-leaning and right-leaning organizations, and the result was completely different. That's shocking. They're being withheld because they are marked as hate groups by the SPLC. Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Vice President of Corporate Engagement Jeremy Tedesco told the DCNF, it appears to be a widespread fidelity charitable policy. I need to tell my mom this because I think that they have a fidelity account. They should probably change that. I stopped using U.S. Bank because they were moving in this direction. They were nowhere near this. I remember it was a long, long time ago. They had like a rainbow flag and I was like, nope, I am not trusting you with my money. You people are insane and it's only going to get worse. And hey, look at that. I was right. Holy cow. This, he said, is likely a very small portion of the people who are actually experiencing the problem. People have a right to be able to give to the causes they believe in without fear of harassment or intimidation. We would never advocate that the SPLC, ACLU, Planned Parenthood, or others get denied access to donations or that their donors get treated the same way our donors are being treated, he continued. Yeah, the Sour Patch Lid Center. Thank you, Andy. Cause neutrality means cause neutrality. Everybody should have equal access to this given platform. That's correct. This reminds me a little bit of GoFundMe. It reminds me a little bit of, oh, what was that place? Patreon. Yeah. So Patreon, who defunded and demonetized and basically debanked um, Sargon of Akkad for using a word, not even derogatorily, on a different platform altogether. Three of the organizations named in the consumer complaint have also been targeted by Unmasking Fidelity, a campaign pressuring Fidelity to stop allowing donations to hate groups. Despite this, the organizations allegedly restricted by FC maintain high ratings on the tool FC recommends for evaluating charities. Charity Navigator, the complaint notes, Manning submitted her grant request on May 8th, May 9th, and May 15th, receiving a message from each one explaining that FC's policies require reviewing all grant recommendations to ensure that grants are used exclusively for proper charitable purposes. When she called FC on May 23rd, a representative said the Board of Trustees was not approving anonymous grants to these organizations. How telling. 
Two days after the call, Manning submitted grant requests to the left-leaning CAIR Center for American Islamic Relations, I think, Foundation, Human Rights Campaign, and Lambda Legal Defense Fund that were approved that day. Manning also sent a letter to FC on June 27th highlighting the issue if FC's concern is truly over whether or not these organizations are using grants, quote, exclusively for proper charitable purposes. I don't understand why simply agreeing to provide my name and address would make a difference in the decision to approve the grants, she wrote. This is a serious matter to me. FC has enriched my life by enabling me to give anonymously to charities I love. I hope FC will honor its promises to be cause neutral by enabling me to donate anonymously to charities I love and want to support. FC's website, uh, Fidelity website, states that it is a cause-neutral, independent public charity that does not limited grant-making based on political, religious, or philosophical grounds. I'm going to send this to my mom. Let me copy this. She needs to know this. It looks like Fidelity Charitable is just ceding control over who their donors can give to, to external activist organizations who don't have Fidelity Charitable clients' best interests at heart. Chris Gasek, FRC's Senior Fellowship for Fellow for Regulatory Affairs, told the DCNF that the organization is grateful to Don Manning for her persistence in trying to determine why her charitable wishes appear to have been thwarted by fidelity. Without her determination and integrity, these events would have been passed would have passed unknown, he said. It's a great honor to know that FRC has donors who evince such courage in the face of adversity. FRC believes that having the ability to financially support the causes one believes in without corporate interference is essential for sustaining the vibrancy of the Bill of Rights that protects all Americans. Fidelity and CSP did not immediately respond to the DCNF's request for comment. PJI says it has not received complaints from the donors. They need to like explain all of these abbreviations every single time they use them because it's just too many. Come on, Caitlin, get it together. I thought that was super, super interesting. I think that's a serious problem. I think we're going to start seeing more of it. Just something to be aware of if you use Fidelities. Let me send my mom this link right now because I am going to forget otherwise. Boop. All right. There you go, Mom. Happy birthday. Okay. So let's read this one last article. We'll just have a couple minutes left and then we will wrap it up. And Annie and I are going to go to the skate park. Probably going to take the dog too. Democrats want their private security looking over GOP poll watchers' shoulders. Speaking of censorship. A Democrat group is launching a multi-million dollar initiative to provide election officials' offices with private security ahead of the 2024 elections and police so-called disinformation, according to a new report. On Tuesday, the New York Times revealed the Democratic Association of Secretaries of State is gearing up to launch Value the Vote, a new nonprofit organization purportedly designed to pay for private security for election officials of both parties, registering new voters, and fighting what the group claims to be disinformation. The $10 million initiative reportedly aiming its initial focus at five key battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, North Carolina, Wisconsin. The venture has already raised $2.5 million, according to DASS Executive Director Travis Brim. As indicated by the Times, the founding of Value the Vote is based on the debunked lie that there is a growing widespread problem of Republicans threatening election workers across the country. Right, again, working off of fake news doesn't look good for journalists but it's what happens. Of course, the lack of evidence to support such an assertion hasn't stopped legacy media from regurgitating their Democrat allies' phony narratives in order to paint Republican voters as extremists and dissuade conservatives from partaking in legitimate forms of electoral oversight. In their remarks to the Times, Brim and DASS officials claimed Value the Vote will provide equal funding opportunities for both Democratic and Republican officials, but how the distribution will work in practice is unclear. Okay, so they don't even know. Fail. 
Brim also indicated election officials could request grants to pay for private security themselves, and that value of the vote would also proactively offer private security. This is kind of a long article. Let's see what they conclude. In addition to financing private security for election offices, Value of the Vote is also purportedly planning to confront so-called election misinformation through the use of paid digital advertising as well as engaging in voter registration efforts that favor Democrats. While federal law prohibits nonprofits from engaging in partisan voter registration, the Times reported that Value of the Vote's registration plans align with typical Democratic efforts focusing heavily on black and Latino communities. As the Federalists previously reported, left-wing nonprofits have regularly abused their nonprofit status by aiming their registration efforts at demographics favorable to voters. Yes, 100%. And he says, it's the same ones that go into all the targets and threaten all the employees, shaking down election offices and target employees, screaming, this is MAGA country, the exact same, same people, same horrible, horrible people. And I just have to say, it's got to stop, guys. It's just got to stop. Anyway, super interesting show tonight. I like ranting about um, religion whenever I can, just because I have that background in it. Uh, do, do exactly as we say and vote for who we say or we'll put you on our list. Yep. Speaking of being put on lists, if you can't block people, they can put you on all sorts of crazy lists, which is not complimentary because people have put me on some wild and crazy lists that are completely inconsistent with what I actually believe. Uh, it's an interesting type of pizza. It's a very unconventional kind of pizza. He says Hawaiian because uh, I don't know if you guys should know this about Andy, but he really likes Hawaiian pizza. Ugh, I know. It's crazy. I know. I didn't find out until after I married him. Then it was too late. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he does like Hawaiian pizza. We won't hold him again. Hold it against him, but here we are. Dirk the Daring says they aren't a church. They're a motivational speaker house. Yes. Bestosaurus Rex, turn the other cheek doesn't mean roll over. In ancient Middle Eastern culture, turn the other cheek was a challenge to do some BS again. It's a teaching to be merciful, but not pitiful. Yeah, and I think that Jordan Peterson captures it well when he says that to be meek means to have a sword, but to not use it, to not need to use it. And I think that's an interesting concept that more people should embrace. Have a great weekend on Heil. You too, for sure. All right, you guys, I'm going to wrap it here. You guys enjoy the rest of your evening. Enjoy your weekend. Hopefully you get a lot done and enjoy your time off. Until next time, remember what we always say. By the way, this is working because Target is seeing major dips in sales. Stay safe, stay well, stay out of Target. Until next time, bye guys.